Welcome to Short Course, episode 121, for January 5th, 2024. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I did end up taking a, a week off last week, just due to the holiday and being sick, and now the whole family's sick, so it's it's going around, uh, which is part of the reason I am once again recording Friday night, so this will be posted as soon as I finish editing it. Sorry for the delay. But this is... As you heard, this is January 5th, so I'm five days into my term as as Area 6 director. I am taking a bit of a slow start. I'm trying to understand the lay of the land, who talks to who, what gets things done, how the how the sausage gets made, so to speak. And so I, I definitely, I don't know that anybody expected me to come out swinging per se, but it, that's definitely not my intent. Although, obviously, the current ongoing crisis with the removal of Scott Arnberg has dropped me into certainly an eventful chapter in USPSA's history. Um, but where I can, I am, I am trying to make sure I understand the situation before I commit resources. And so that is, that, that's where things are at right now, but in the interest of not burning any bridges or making any enemies unnecessarily. Obviously, the the job to some degree will involve disagreeing, hopefully respectfully, hopefully vigorously with the other folks on the board and the members and, and the employees at times. That, that'll be part of the job, but I'm trying to not create any of those situations unnecessarily through ignorance before I have some sense of, of how things are done. So I am getting involved. I'm definitely observing and watching and trying to understand, like I said, how things work and how things get done. But ultimately, I do understand that to some degree, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And so I'm not trying to um, exhaust myself too early. So the situation in USPSA is basically unchanged. Um, there has been... I mentioned on the last episode that there was some discussion of a, a special meeting being called at the end of last year to try and ram through some interim area one and area three candidates. And that did not happen. The pace of the boycott. It, I mean, it's hard to estimate at this point. I think, I mean, when you think about it, given that most USPSA matches happen once a month, it'll probably take a, a full month of clubs, shooting matches either as hit factor or USPSA and, and not paying fees. It'll take a, a month of that for the boycott to really show up in the numbers. But to some degree, that's just a reflection of the the sort of dual nature of, of what happens in USPSA in the sense that there is a certain crowd that when something happens online, everybody sees it within 24 hours. And then there's another crowd that won't necessarily hear about it until they show up to shoot another match or they have a conversation with one of the people who is really plugged in and the word sort of starts to trickle out. So there's this this initial big burst and then the message trickles out and trickles out and, and people hear more and they dig in and they say, wait, what happened? There are still people today where I tell them about, oh, the whole the board voted for voted to, to make each other take polygraphs. And they're like, what? And obviously it's it's been out in the minutes. It's been talked about online, but. There are a lot of people who are in the sport who who don't hear about things other than through word of mouth. So I think the that that is continuing and we'll see where it goes. 
things have, I think, sort of settled into into something of a steady state. There are clubs that are that are firmly opposed to giving USPSA any more money, and that's that's their stance. And like I said, it'll it'll take a month probably for the num for the for that to really show up in the numbers, and we'll see what the board does once they see the the magnitude of that. And speaking of the polygraphs, I did think it was interesting that this week in a Facebook comment thread, Russell Fortney, Area 8, mentioned that he had also taken the polygraph, which I, I figured that was a bluff. I figured the whole polygraph thing was a bluff. Uh, but Leighton now has said that he took it and passed it. Russell has, say it, has said that he took it. So apparently at least some, maybe all of the of the directors that were actually on the board Leading up to uh, leading up to the end of twenty twenty three, took it, um, but we know at least two did. So it wasn't a complete bluff. So I don't know what the board paid to have some number of actual polygraphs administered, but that it, that was an interesting data point when I saw. Okay, now two of them have said that they actually did take it. So I haven't seen any any public acknowledgement. Nothing. I haven't seen anything privately either, you know, as a, as a board member. So I don't, I know as much as you guys do about what actually happened there, but it, it was interesting to, to see a, another public mention of it from one of the board members who was on the board last year and, and voted for that. Something else that I wanted to address and sorry if this episode is a little jumbled and probably also on the short side, I don't have any big topics to cover, just a number of, of small things that I thought were worth addressing. And I did want to at least put out some update, even if the news is mostly no news, that things are just slowly grinding along. Nothing has really happened, not in any meaningful way, and, and very well may not until the actual January board meeting in terms of actually publicly documented actions. But like I said, one of the other topics that I did want to bring up is I've seen some discussion accusing me of as, as now being a director of USPSA of violating my fiduciary duty by encouraging the boycott. And first off, let me say, I, I think that what I am trying to do is give people a constructive outlet to ex to meaningfully express their outrage at Scott being removed from office. I'm not going around telling clubs to boycott. I'm not saying you should do this. But I am saying if you are seeing the same thing I'm seeing and you want to register a message, this is the way I think you should do it. And this is why, like I said on the last episode, I'm not encouraging clubs to disaffiliate. I'm not encouraging clubs to go run, you know, switch to a different rule set. Stay in USPSA, but take an action that shows that will show up in the statistics at headquarters. But I, I wanted to you know, address the idea of fiduciary duty and, and talk about what that actually means in, in a few different senses. I mean, so first of all, the, the core idea of fiduciary duty is not as I think narrowly interpreted as it might be narrowly interpreted to maximize the short-term financial gain of the organization. Fiduciary duty, as I understand it, is that you have to act in the best interest of the organization, not in your best interest. So even if I were telling clubs to stop running USPSA matches and go run PCSL matches, 
that doesn't make me a dime. I'm not involved in that league. I don't make any money off of it. So there's no fiduciary issue in that because I'm not directing clubs or the organization in any way that personally benefits me. But instead, I think people hear fiduciary duty and they just naturally think, well, yeah, basically that just means short-term cash grab. Like you got to do whatever makes the corporation the most money in the shortest run. And that's not, that's not philosophically true. And it's not even literally true. So if you look in the bylaws, the bylaws say directors must act prudently, loyally, and in good faith to maximize USPSA's value over the long term for the benefit of its members. And I genuinely think things like removing Scott does not help the long-term value of USPSA. The goal is not what will get us the most revenue in 2024. The goal is maximize USPSA's value over the long-term for the benefit of its members. And I just, to me, that is, that is what I think I'm doing. I, I, do, I genuinely think that having Scott on the board accomplishes that more than having someone else in that seat. Certainly any of the, the the previous Area 3 directors, and I mean, I don't know who else is is even interested in running from Area 3 right now, but I do think having Scott on the board improves the the long-term value of USPSA, both you know, financially in terms of being a solvent organization and in terms of providing value to the members. So the idea that that it's against my food that I'm violating my fiduciary duty by encouraging clubs to take some action that might in the short run cost some fraction of USPSA's annual revenue in a single year, likely a single quarter, maybe a single month, depending on how long this goes on, is extremely short-sighted. And additionally, under that same part of the bylaws, it says, duty of obedience. Directors must make sure that the organization is abiding by all applicable laws and regulations and doesn't engage in illegal or unauthorized activities. And I still think that there is likely at least one, if not multiple, good cases under which Scott being removed was either in violation of the bylaws of the organization or possibly in, in violation of Delaware corporate law. I'm not a lawyer. But I, I can read case law, I can read some decisions, and I think that there is at least a, a reasonable chance that Scott has a case that, even if he ends up losing it, could cost USPSA quite a bit. And so the question is, is avoiding putting the organization in a position where it could potentially incur significant legal expenses, if not actually lose a lawsuit, is is trying to avoid that scenario a part of upholding fiduciary duty. I think it is. Now, again, we're talking about one-time short-term costs, whatever the the cost of a potential lawsuit or potential settlement, potential damages would be, you know, that is a that is a one-time thing that would show up in one or two years of of USPSA's balance sheet. So, to some degree that impacts long-term benefit of the members in the sense that it would probably be a an issue that would play out over some period of time. It wouldn't necessarily dramatically change the the, the long-term outlook of USPSA, but it certainly would not help USPSA achieve its goals. So to me, this idea that fiduciary duty means I need to shut up and tell as many clubs as possible to, to reaffiliate and to 
sign up more people and nickel and dime and this and that and, and try and drive up revenue every way possible in the short run is it's missing the point. If you actually read the bylaws, fiduciary duty is about long-term benefit of the members. It's not about making the most money for the company in the short term. Yeah, I can't, I can't really put it any more plainly than that. One other topic that I want to address is a sort of, a, a, not quite a rhetorical argument, but sort of a, a dismissive statement that I've now seen used on, on, on basically both sides of, of the, the debate or the discussion. And that's the idea of basically saying that any given person who you want to discuss is just a puppet or just being fed information or just being told what to say or just being being controlled by some other person. And I think there are a lot of issues. Obviously, there are a lot of issues with the governance of USPSA, but I I don't think that that is a useful argument to make because fundamentally it misses the point and it, it dehumanizes the people on the other side of the argument. And what's funny is I'm seeing it from both sides. And it, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. Oh, you know, this, this person is just a puppet for that person or so-and-so just repeats whatever they're told. And I mean, I think we, we see that a lot from the anti-board, the, the people who are trying to change the way that things are being done. I think we see that a lot. I mean, I certainly see that a lot just because I think I follow a lot of those people and I, I hear a lot of that conversation. But for example, in the same common thread I mentioned earlier, where Russell Fortney, Area 8 director, was saying that he had taken the polygraph, he, he made basically the same claim about some other member who he was, he was arguing with. And he basically said, well, you're just, you know, you're just being fed information. You don't really know anything. You're just repeating what you've been told. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's not the, that's not the only example, but that's just, that's just one that comes to mind. And I just, again, are there a lot of problems in USPSA? Are there people following a process to get, to, to justify decisions that I think are utterly wrong? Absolutely. But I don't think on either side of of this battle or debate or whatever you want to call it, I have yet to see anyone that I personally think is just straight up parroting what they're told. I think people make decisions based on their pre-existing underlying values. So for example, in, in my case, I think that any speech that is not legally actionable should be allowed. I don't think the board should be in the business of, of policing speech outside of anything that is actually illegal or actionable. That's, that is one of my principles. And then you can have that informed by particular information. And so ultimately people, people make decisions based on their values and their principles and the information that they're given. Now, are there cases where people make decisions without necessarily having all the information? Well, yeah, of course, every every decision is made with imperfect information. And so in some cases, there are people on both sides where they're not fully informed. I mean, I've started to see these, the I've started to see some of the emails coming into the board where 
people are objecting to Scott's removal, but on grounds that honestly misunderstand exactly what happened. And, you know, I could, I could write an email back and say, well, actually, you know, you got this, this aspect of it wrong, but that's not really the point. What I'm trying to get at is I think everybody on the board, everybody on social media, everybody on a podcast, everybody on YouTube, everybody that's a part of this discussion, this larger back and forth culture. I I don't even know what to call it. That is currently trying to wrestle with the future of USPSA. I genuinely think everybody has their values and their information, and maybe they get skewed information. Maybe they get limited information and they don't go out and search out more than, than what is just handed to them. But that doesn't make them a puppet. That just makes them taking what they're given and not seeking out more. And so for whatever it's worth, I mean, not that, I mean, I, nobody's my puppet, certainly nobody takes orders from me, but if there is one thing that I would ask on, on both sides, as we work through all this, let's stop talking about people as puppets. Let's stop saying that someone is just parroting this or they're just being fed this information and, and just repeating it because it's, you know, they're someone's puppet. Let's dispense with that. Obviously, I know this is a bit utopian, but I just don't think it helps. Assume that whatever, whatever decision a given person is making is based on their values and their principles and the information they've been presented. Now, you can't change someone's values and principles. If you can change the information they've been presented with, then do that. But at the end of the day, there are just some things where you will have values and principles that disagree. And at that point, calling someone a puppet or saying they're, they're being fed information, it doesn't make the problem better. It just distracts from it. When in reality, you just have a situation where you have two incompatible sets of values and the two of you will never see eye to eye. And we just need to get to a point where we can accept that instead of taking this route of, oh, well, he's just a puppet, at which point you're starting to dehumanize people. And I just don't see that. I just don't see that as productive. So do with that what you will. Just a few sort of administrative things here that that are worth wrapping up with. So the, as announced in the minutes, I don't think I talked about it uh, last week with everything else I was covering from the December board meeting, but at the December board meeting, they did set the cutoff date for the area one special election. And then once they had booted Scott, they set his special election date to be the same day. So assuming the special election for area three goes through, uh, it'll, it'll follow the same schedule. But the cutoff date was set as February 20th. If you look in the bylaws, basically it breaks down into 45 days between the cutoff day and the day that voting starts. And then there's 30 days of voting. If it goes to a runoff, then there's another 45 day break and then another 30 days of voting. Why the long break between the main election and the runoff, especially in the case of special elections? I don't know. I wasn't there when the bylaws were drafted. Uh, Certainly, I, I think... That is something the bylaws we should we should look at. I think shortening that, especially in the case of special elections where the members are not being represented by an an elected representative, but someone appointed. I think making that period as short as possible is is a good thing. 
Um, I've even proposed in the past and I, I plan, I don't know if now is the right time, especially with the election coming up so soon, but certainly in the future, I think it would be good to at least bring up to the board, the idea of instant runoff voting. So basically have a single round where you go through and do ranked choice voting and you just say, this person's my first choice, second choice, third, fourth, however many candidates we have. And then we do one election and we come out with the winner and we don't have to do this. Uh, first of all, this game where we, I mean, at a minimum, any election takes 60 days to gather candidates. And then once we have candidates, they have the 45 days to campaign and then the 30 days of voting. That part makes sense in the in the sense of giving people time to get their signatures and then actually have you know some reasonable amount of time to do the campaigning. But once people have voted in their first round, do we necessarily need a, a second round? I, I would be interested to to have that discussion. But there we are. So by my unofficial math, the, the first round of elections will be done the second week of May or so. If there if it does go to a runoff, so basically if there are three or more candidates and no single candidate gets 50% of the vote, then it goes the top two vote getters go to a runoff, in which case the the, the runoff will end the last week of July or so. So it's probably again, depending on whether whether how many candidates decide to run in, in each election, we're probably looking at well, we're definitely looking at at least May until a, uh, a candidate is elected. And then if there is a runoff, it'll be end of July. And then once each special election wraps up, the start date for the elected, the, the person who was elected under the special election will be set at the following board meeting. So there's a, a little bit of a delay there in the case of special elections. Uh, typically, the, the start date is just set as whatever the day after the, the the next board meeting is, but there might be a delay for some reason. And one other administrative note, because again, I was talking about this on, on uh, previous episodes of the podcast. As far as I've been told, there is no in-person board meeting scheduled to be coincident with SHOT Show. I guess there was no consensus that was reached to hold it. And so the plan will just be for, there will just be a regular fourth Monday board meeting in January. It'll be the, the first one. Presumably we'll do some of the beginning of the year business typically, which would be done at, at the in-person board meeting. The main one just being committee assignments and and nominating and a, a vice president and all that. So a little bit of that procedural once a year type stuff will be done at, I assume, at that, that January meeting. But yes, there, it looks like for better or worse, I, I got my wish. I'm not, I won't be doing a taking a red eye back from Vegas to try and show up at work a few hours later after spending two days in a generic Las Vegas hotel conference room. Instead, we'll just have a a five hour Zoom meeting, which as far as I know, based on what was in the minutes from last month, as far as I know, the the plan is still to vote to to waive confidentiality and live stream that meeting. So that will that will be interesting. I, I hope it actually happens. You know, it ain't over till the fat lady sings, but I'll be, I will be looking forward to, to that actually happening and, and seeing how things go moving forward. So that's all I've got. Like I said, no big topics or announcements, just things are continuing to slowly unfold and we'll see where they go from here. And I, I didn't want it to go any longer and miss another week of the podcast, but 
Hopefully we'll be back to a normal schedule after this, and I'll have more to say as as time goes on, both board-related and, and not board-related. I mean, I, I still expect and hope and anticipate that, that this podcast will, to some degree, be able to talk about things like practice and shooting and matches and stage design and, and all the other things that I got into USPSA because I, I liked all that stuff. And uh, the inevitably, over over the coming years, the, the board politics and antics and procedures and goings-on will be a part of the podcast, but hopefully not not a, a, an overwhelming fraction. So that wraps up this episode of Short Course. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is ben at com. Talk to you next time.